Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, we are talking all things reinvention. So my guest today is no stranger to reinvention, having been a stand-up comedian, a journalist, a business coach, even did a stint in the adult entertainment industry. So not only is her story super inspiring, but there are some amazing lessons and insights about reinvention that we're going to be talking about today. So welcome to the podcast, June. Her name is June Morrow, and you can tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, Okay. Well, my story is like, it's long. (laughs) So I guess I'll just start with where I am today. So what I do today is I have my own business and I help new and pivoting and emerging coaches and transformational consultants with their marketing, with their messaging, figure out what their offers are. So kind of like business consulting, help them connect with their ideal clients. So that's where I am today. But where I've been to get there is a whole bunch of stuff. I've been a dating coach. I've been like a spiritual coach. I've been an exotic dancer. I've been a stand-up comic. I worked in the public service. I was in training and development for a while. At one point, I really, really wanted to be a motivational speaker. Still do. So yeah, I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of different things in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. So like, what kind of led you to, okay, so your path has been rather, I would call unconventional. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Many like dips and detours along the way. So like, what inspired you, I guess, to take these detours like these or to, I don't even want to call them detours because probably they're not really detours. They're actually perfectly aligned with the path, but like what inspired you to, to kind of, you know, take these rather unconventional approaches and not being afraid to change it. That's the part that I love about your story. Yeah. I think, you know what, like at a very young age, I started reading self-help books. (laughs) I totally blame them. (laughs) This idea of like, you know, your life is yours to create, your life is yours to design. And I've always just felt like this very strong, like when I'm interested in something, I go for it, right? Like if I have a passion for something, I love learning. And I think Mm. this is actually what drives me is I love learning something and I love getting to a level of competence where I can make, you know, achievements in that area. And then after that, I kind of get bored, right? So I'm a bit of a scanner, a polymath, a multi-renaissance person, as they call them. Yeah. So I think for me, it's like this love of learning and achieving and connecting with people communicating. Cause I think there's there, even though my path has looked like it's been in many different ways, there have been things that have been similar throughout, like energizing right. people, connecting people, communicating. Those have all been themes that have continued in like so many different ways. Like I was a DJ for a while and people think like, how does that, you know, how does that energize? Yeah. Well, I mean, that totally energizes people that gets, it creates a community. It gets people dancing and it gets people uplifting and feeling like you know, vibrating at a higher frequency, which is another thing I love to help. So. Yeah, that's amazing. So what was your very, I guess what I want to say is like, what is your very first kind of detour on the path or like you started this one place and then you decided, uh, yeah, not for me, or I'm super interested in this. Like, how did that flow? Like, just take us through the flow. Yeah. So I, 
totally blame Tony Robbins. So I was like in my mid twenties, I was on a traditional path. I was working in an office as a clerk, you know, good, like decent salary. Okay. Benefits, you know, doing my twenties life. I was married to my first husband and he was kind of looking at like, Oh, let's buy a house in the suburbs. Let's start having a family. And I was really, really resisting that inside. And I just wasn't happy. Mm. And so that set me on a little like, you know, introspective path of like, why aren't I happy? What is it that's missing in my life? And one thing I realized, so I thought career counselor actually, and he's the first guy who said like, you have this theme that runs your life. And his style of career counseling was write the story of your life. And he would find the themes and then make some suggestions for you. So I didn't just like write like a couple pages. I wrote like 160 pages, which was amazing because- (laughs) Nothing had happened in my life at this time. It was very traditional. It was very boring. You know, in retrospect, like it was very much a typical life, like, you know, suburban childhood, you know, I hadn't really realized who I was and how to express myself at that point. But he pointed out, girl, you need to be doing some public speaking. You need to get in front of people. And that was like a a big theme that came out because I'd always enjoyed it in school and I wasn't doing any. And he said, I recommend you do the artist's way because I sense that you're creative Hmm. and you just don't know it. And uh, then he gave me some options. He said, you can get into corporate training and development. You can get into stand-up comedy. You can do these different things. And so what I did was I got into, I went to Toastmasters to start public speaking and I did the artist's way. And I did all these things kind of at the same time. And then Toastmasters, I started learning about like this motivational community that was out there. Mm -hmm. And Tony Robbins came to, I was living in Ottawa at the time. Tony Robbins came to my hometown. I went and saw him. I drank the Kool-Aid. I went like, not so I was like, oh, I want to be Tony Robbins. This is what I want to do. Oh my God, this is it. This is it. Right. And he's like, Tony Robbins. And this is the way I interpreted it when I was 20 years old after seeing Tony Robbins. All you need to do is get yourself in a psyched state of mind and success will happen, which is so not true, but that's what I did. So I decided I'm going to be a motivational speaker. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to coach people and I'm going to kick this off with my very first event. I'm going to call it the great dream connection. And it's going to use all the things that I've learned in all these self-help books I've been reading. And I'm going to help people connect with their dreams. And so I quit my job. I told all my people, my job, no, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. And they were all like, what? June's kind of crazy anyway. And I put my life savings, which was like $300 into advertising. This was in the nineties. There was no internet. And two people came and both of them thought it was an English as a second language class. They didn't realize it was actually like, and I was broken. I was devastated. But that was the first time I kind of like went, I'm going to put it all on the line. Yeah. And that didn't work because I mean, so many reasons. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, so, so, so many reasons that I didn't realize at the time, but yeah. And that was kind of like the first time I kind of took a leap and just went, let's see what happens. And yeah. But most people who do that, okay, so, you know, there might have been times in our lives where, you know, we've taken a leap and we failed miserably. And then we say, I'm never, ever doing that again. I'm going to get back on the safe path and I'm just going to stay there because I never want to feel that level of humiliation or failure. Yeah. And I kind of did that in a way that does not feel safe to other people. So what I did after that was I was humiliated. I felt like this was my fault. I felt like something was wrong with me. I really beat myself up over it and I needed a job. So I got a job as a, as a receptionist in a, um, like a high-end health spa type thing, Mm -hmm. like not an adult spa, but like a, you know, like a woman's like, you know, makeovers and stuff. And I hated that. And I felt like, oh my God, I was so high about like changing my life. I'm going to do this. And then I just like 
went like down low. And it was at that time I met a guy who lived in Toronto who would who'd come in and we started dating and he's like, why don't you move to Toronto with me? And like, okay, so before that, years before I had tried stripping, I tried exotic dancing like as a one night, you know, on a lark. And I was like, wow, I could really do this if I wanted to. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to Toronto. I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to hide out really is what I was doing. But in my head, I'm like, I'm going to find myself. I'm going to strip for a while. Then I'm going to go uh, travel. And I'm going to do that thing in my 20s that I really wanted to do. I divorced my husband at this time because I realized like I really need more freedom than he wanted. Yeah. And so then I moved to Toronto and I started stripping. And then that took me in a totally like different way. But for me, stripping was kind of like a way of hiding out, not hiding out, but licking my wounds as I figure out what my next step was. Because I kind of, I didn't realize that I could like get help and someone could help me become a motivational speaker. I just felt like, ah, I'm a failure. So what made you decide to try stripping in the first place to even know that you liked it? Oh my gosh. Cause when I was a kid, I used to watch these like old movies with Mae West and she'd play like the burlesque dancer. And I always thought, Oh, that's so cool. Like I always thought, Oh, to be on stage and to like, you know, or like, you know, watching Greece when Sandy comes out in the tight pants and the little top at the end and her candies and she's all like empowered. And I always thought Ooh, that's like empowering for women to own their sexuality, to, to kind of flaunt it that way. Like even as a little kid, I felt that way. And I'd always been very, open sexually, I guess you could say, like, right, more so than a lot of people around me. And yeah, so I I guess it was like another moment, like in my early 20s, before I was married, where I was kind of like in a boring retail job. And I was like, Oh, I need to make some more money. What can I do? And I'd seen this ad over and over again, exotic dancers wanted. um, And, and I thought, Oh, I could do that. I'm like, I'm young, I'm hot ish, you know, I'm like, whatever, I could probably do it. <laughs> right. So I went to the, like, I, I called them up. They said, come into the office. They kind of checked me out. They said, yeah, you'll lose your baby fat, like whatever, <laughs> go try it tonight. And then, so they sent me to a club with this girl and, and I did it. And the thing I noticed is like, I made some money like so fast. And this was like back in the day before lap dancing, like it was so innocent. You'd stand on this little tiny little table that you carried around with you, like a stool really. And you just wiggle. And you take off your clothes. Okay. It was so easy. And people were just like $10, $10, $10. And so at the end of the night, I was like, wow, this is awesome. But then the next day, I noticed immediately a shift in the way I was looking at men. And I was walking down the street and I was looking at guys and I was like, I could get him to give me $10. I could get him to give me $10. And I noticed this inside of me. And my brother had somehow found out what I'd done the night before. And he's like, June, do anything you want, but don't ever do anything that you'll feel ashamed to tell other people. And then I got a call from, I think I got a call from the bank offering me a job. So I decided to go with like working in the bank. So I was a teller for a while before I got this job in the office. And so I decided not to do it, but it always just stuck in my head. Like, wow, that was really fun. And it was a really easy way to make money at the time. Right. 10 years later, it would not be an easy way to make money. Like I really burnt out on it because the whole world changed in the exotic dancing world. So how long did you stay in the exotic dancing world? So I was started when I was 26 and then I left when I was 31, 32. Okay. So you did a, you did a good stint. Yeah. And I was older, which was like, and you don't think that's old now. Right. But when you're young, you think you go and it's like these 18 year olds who are like, girls, you're going to mess your heads up doing this. Like, I'm glad that I'd been married and had office jobs and like had a normal life before I started it. Cause I was able to somewhat keep my head on and not let it all go like redefine who I was, but it did. 
nonetheless, like the things you do and the things like the way people see you is something that you need to kind of like, like it affects you. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So interesting. So you make the decision that, okay, this isn't right for me. I can't do the adult entertainment business anymore. It's yeah. just not aligned with me. I and then really burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. And then where do you go from there? Okay. So from there, well, this is the cool thing. Cause I also can't, and this is what I tell people, like you can't help but do what comes naturally to you. You can't help but express those parts of you that need to be expressed. And so right. when I was stripping, I saw this newsletter in the change room for exotic dancers written by exotic dancers. And at that moment, it was like, oh, like angels sing. Like it was like a light bulb went off. And I went, I love to write. Like I've always loved to write part of the communication part. And I'm like, I could do this. I could, I could write something for them. And so I reached out to them and I wrote like a little story for them. And I was like, so nervous. I was like, I don't even know who's behind this, but I wrote this little story about dancing with the pole and how even when nobody wants a lap dance, the pole is always a partner. Like it was really kind of cheesy, but cute. And then I offered to write something else for them. And then it turned out that they, the people who put together this little newsletter was like a, like a nonprofit called the Exotic Dancers Alliance and that they needed somebody to take over editing the newsletter. And so I was like, I could do that. And I thought that would be interesting and fun. And so I taught myself like how to edit how to write, like how to put together a newsletter, a graphic design layout. I, I went, I was like, I had this time because I was freelance stripping. And so in my spare time, I just taught that stuff. And honestly, like my days would be spent like just putting these things together. Like I loved it so much and writing. And that gave me confidence to like, to go to like little community newspapers and say, Hey, can I write something for you? Like as a volunteer just to kind of just get more experience in the non-stripping world. And so mm-hmm. that gave me more confidence to like apply to like bigger community newspapers. And then I decided I'm really enjoying this. Like I love this kind of like editing, mm-hmm. writing, learning, working with people, putting together a package. I taught myself web design at the time. Like I, wow. this was like 1999. So it was, I looked at my old web and I started a web design company on the side. And I looked at that recently and I was like, wow, this is so lame compared to like, <laughs> oh, what, what? but at the time I was like, oh, this is so good. Yeah. And I just decided, you know what? I think a good path for me is communications. And I knew that I needed a tunnel. Like I knew that I needed to go through something to distance myself from stripping and to do it in a structured way. Because I still didn't have the confidence to like apply for real jobs, what I called like, you know, jobs that were like corporate jobs. I didn't have that confidence yet. And I knew I needed to build that. So I applied for journalism school and then I got in and that was how I got out of stripping. Was cool. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about your story so far, and I, you know, there's definitely more of your story to come, but what I love about your story so far is this, like the fact that you like literally followed your heart and your gifts. Like you found the things, like you understood what you were good at. Like you understand what your strengths and gifts were. And then it was like, okay, where's the best place for me to put my gifts and talents as opposed to what so many of us do is where should I go? What's expected of me? We go to that place and then we mold ourselves to fit that as opposed to the other way around, which is why I think so many of us end up in this in careers where we're looking around going, really? Is this, (laughs) is this what I know it was true for me, right? Like you get to a certain point and you're like, is this it? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing and feeling very unfulfilled? So I love that about your story. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to say something like the one thing is people worry about money, right? Money is a big thing. 
And what I found with all of my reinventions is when I started, the money was shit. Like I really did take like a loss when I, like even when I got into like writing and editing and I was still stripping, I would strip enough to make my rent and that was it. And the rest of the time I would teach myself how to do these things. And I'd be like working on the newsletter and I did newsletters for like, I was in a Toastmasters club. I did their newsletter. I was doing some other stuff. So, but I did not like, I really took a cut in income, but I didn't care because Mm -hmm. I was so fulfilled doing what I was doing and the money came back right without me taking my my clothes off. Right. So this is, (laughs) this is something that I think is important for people to keep in perspective when they're making a change is that you might think, Oh shit, I can't afford to do that. But what you don't see is the bigger picture where five years down the line, you're making more or double what you were making because you're doing something passionate and now you have a level of skills and competency with it that it's coming back. You've you've planted the seeds and the seeds come back, but there is a time for sowing. And sometimes the sowing is a lean time. Yeah. That's really great because we tend to have a very all or nothing attitude towards things. Like I'm either doing that or I'm hundred percent doing this. When mm-hmm. we talked about all the time is that training ground. Like I've still got my foot in stripping, right? Because I need to pay my rent, but yeah. I'm also dabbling in these other things, right? So it wasn't all or nothing. It was kind of this gradual. I mean, yeah. And you do eventually, you know, at some point you kind of have to pull the shoot and take yeah. a leap. But I love the idea of start to explore your passions before you leave your job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise I would have just been freaking out. Like, yeah, yeah, if I didn't know, if I didn't have a direction, but it wasn't like, it was like the direction came to me once I just started going into what I enjoyed and Mm -hmm. I I gave myself permission to do that. Yeah. We don't know the direction until we take action. And this is what we think. We think we need to know the direction, but we don't know it until we start doing it. And then the direction is revealed. Well, not only do we think we have to know the direction, we have to know every step along the way, right? Like we need the exact plan where, you know, every time you take a step, the next step unfolds before you. Yes. And that's definitely been my, most definitely been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hundred percent my experience too. Like there's no way I could have planned for the life I had that I've had so far or the life that's ahead of me. Like, I don't know, two years from now, I think I have a plan for my business where I want to be but it could totally detour and go somewhere else, you know? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So you get into journalism school, you're like writing for publications, like what? Yeah. So then then I got into journalism school and I was originally going to do broadcast because I wanted to be, I love speaking. I love being, you know, on air. Um, And then I let a teacher convince me to do magazines because I also really love writing. That's my, like, there's these mm-hmm. two passions, being on stage and performing and writing are my two passions. Right. Yeah. And so I wound up doing magazines and then I started really missing being on stage. Like I didn't miss stripping, but I missed that performing aspect of it. So I started doing stand-up comedy. So then I graduate from, from journalism school and I get a good enough job, as I call it, a good enough job at Canadian Business Magazine. And I work there as an associate editor, not full-time actually, kind of like part-time on contract. And again, I'm paying my rent just enough to pay the rent. And I'm doing stand-up comedy on the side because I have this need for self-expression. And then I start doing, because I want to, I've realized, oh, I think I really do want to get into broadcast journalism. A friend of mine who I met in journalism school, we started doing this Monday night video vlogs that they were called back right. in the day. 
on things to do in Toronto on a Monday night called 52 Mondays. And so we put together 52 of those to get like a reel, a recording reel of us together so that we could, you know, send that out for lifestyles hosting, like hosting lifestyles TV shows. Right. So I'm doing that. And then I write a play. I get accepted. I apply for the, the Fringe Lottery, the Fringe Festival Lottery, and I get in. And so I write this one woman play about stripping like a musical, but it's like a comedy. So it's like bringing together the stripping. It's bringing together comedy. It's bringing together the things I love. And I wind up quitting my job and touring Canada with that for a summer. (laughs) Cool. Which was really, really cool. And then that was like the best summer ever. And then I get back and I'm like, oh, I want to do that again. And I also still really want to like get into broadcast television so I can be on air. So I'm doing some freelance videography stuff for people because I bought all the equipment to, you know, Right. Like to make professional grade videos, even though I don't love being behind the camera at all. Like I'm not the technical person. Right. Um, yes. Then I write another play. And then my second husband, who I'm married to at this time, he loses his job and he decides to pursue his dream. So I realize, okay, I need to step up and really support him better financially than I've been doing. And so I decide, okay, I'm going to stop all this temporarily and I'm going to just get a full-time job and I'm going to support his dream because he's been kind of subsidizing mine for a number of years now, right? Right. And so I get this job in the government and it's like the worst job ever. Like I left Ottawa going, yeah, take that Ottawa. I'll never work for the government. (laughs) I'm too creative for that shit, right? And of course I get placed by this temp agency in the government, in the Ontario government and I'm doing data entry and it's like, you just kill me now, like shoot me right. this awful. <laughs> like this is the most boring thing I could probably imagine, but it's paying our bills. So I'm doing that. And then they keep calling me back. Like they want me to do like admin work. And so I come back and I'm doing like admin work and reception work. And I start noticing that the ministry that I'm working for in the area that I'm working for, they really need help with their communications. Like you know, they're putting together this annual report and it could be done so much better. The layout could be better. The graphic design could be better. The editing could be better. And they, they need like a style guide. And I start seeing needs for my skills. And so I start pitching that on the job. I'm like, hey, if you need somebody to do this, I'd love to do this. Or have you ever thought about doing a style guide so that all your communications are consistent? I'd love to create that. So I start just like creating these things for my boss or pitching them and saying, hey, like, I'd love to do this. And then doing them and creating and just like naturally adding more value with the things that I can't help but mm-hmm. do, right? These are just the things that I do. Right, right. Yeah. And so one of my bosses then notices me and is like, oh, she's got some skills. And she takes me under her wing and kind of mentors me and gives me more opportunities to work in communications type stuff. And at this time, I'm thinking like, oh, you know, if I could work anywhere in the government, I pick up, there's this like this newsletter for government employees. And I'm like, If I stay here, this is where I need to be working on this newsletter. Because how fun would that be to like work on this newsletter and cover like all the stories going on in this huge organization of like 65,000 people. And then a job becomes available writing that newsletter. Oh, wow. And so I apply for the newsletter and what they need. So get this. This is how you never know where things are going to lead you. You never know. They need somebody who's got journalism experience, who's got editing experience, who's got video experience, who's got website experience, who's got like a little bit of PR experience, which I have from doing my play and doing stand-up comedy, who's got some experience organizing things. And I've got all of those from all the things I've been doing since I stopped stripping, like all these variety of different things. And they all come together in this job that pays as much as I was making my first year of stripping. 
Wow. I love that so much. Yeah. I, one of the things I always say, you know, like when we're standing on the precipice of our next chapter and we're like, you know, I'm starting over, we're never really starting over because like everything that we have experienced up to this point in life has prepared us exactly for where we need to go next. And we need to trust in that. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you kind of go along this path and what appears to be kind of this random order of things actually set you up for like the thing that you really wanted most in the end. Yes. Yeah. And I even get to be on stage in government because I find out they have a battle of the bands. And so I get a band together with people that I work with and we're in this battle of the bands and then our battle of the bands wins the battle of the bands. So then we get to perform at like the winter garden theater and get like rock star treatment. Like it's just like all these things. And then I decide I become a, a fitness coach. And then there's like a place where I can teach people in the government where I like become a, not a fitness coach, but a fitness instructor, like right. just all this stuff just coalesces. Right. And then it's going really well until it gets boring again. And then I, I just, the politics of it and the, you know, and I never yeah, plan yeah. to stay there. And it's like, it's awesome. I create things. I create like a community of practice for internal communicators. And I do, I think I actually make a big difference. Right. And I get to report on really cool things, but then like the politics of it comes into play and they change yeah. my job somewhat and it's no longer fun. And all of a sudden I'm like really discontented again. Right. And so I'm like, what am I going to do next? So, okay. You start this. Okay. What am I going to do next? Like, what's the first step you take? Like what? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I think is, okay, I think I want to go back to coaching. Like I want to go back to that idea I had back in my twenties of becoming a coach. Right. Because it's, I'm really into personal growth. Actually, no, that's not true. That's not true. What happens is, okay, so I divorced the second guy. I divorced my second husband. And I start blogging about my dating life. And I freaking love this. I love writing about my, my life, like my dating life. Right? <laughs> well, there but must then, be some great stories in there. I know yeah, there so this, is, this is my next project. I'm so excited. I'll tell you about it after. But I start blogging about my dating life. But then the guy that I'm seeing doesn't love me blogging about him. So... <laughs> So I shut down the blog, but then I think, how can I make money blogging? And I look into it and people are like, you have to coach or do something like sell something in addition to what you're yeah. writing. So then I go, oh yeah, that's right. I did want to be a coach back in the day. I'm like, I could do that again. And so at the same time, like after I break up with the guy who's like the rebound guy who didn't want me writing about him, I <laughs> decide that I'm going to learn how to date and I do this with a vengeance. Like as, as I learn anything, I like go full on in and I like read every single like book on dating I can find. And I watch every Matthew Hussey video out there. And yeah, like I just like, I absorb it. I take courses, I do workshops, and then I go on a hundred dates in one year and I get my dating game on large. Like I date really cool people and I have like a ball doing it. I'm exhausted at the end of the year, to be honest. I was going to say, that's be exhausting. Yeah, but I do this. And then people start asking me like, how do you enjoy dating so much? And I'm like, well, I know I learned all these things and they're like, teach us. So then I become a dating coach. Right. <laughs> so that's, and then I start teaching people like dating tricks and stuff, like how tips and techniques to date with more confidence. And then I write a book about my experience, which also ties into things I learned about men working in strip clubs. So that all comes together in the book. So now Amazing. I'm seeing like, yeah, so I'm still working full time in the government, but now I'm preoccupied with the whole dating coaching, you know, that part of thing. 
And, but then the dating, I realized like uh, the dating coaching thing, like people keep asking me, like, how do I, you know, what do I say to them? How do I stop sleeping with the wrong guys? I'm like, well, stop sleeping with the wrong guys. And really, <laughs> <Just> ultimately, <laughs> like just ultimately everything I'm telling them is like, love yourself, love your life, and you'll become a magnet for the people who are going to love you. But you got to do that first, right? And people aren't listening. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is really working. And I kind of lose my passion for dating. Also, I kind of feel like, little bit of a, what do you call it? Imposter syndrome because my own love life isn't going so great. Like, right. yeah. So there's all these things happening. And I think, is this really what I want? Yeah. And then I go to a business retreat and they ask you that very question. Is this really what you want? And I'm like, I don't think so. Right. And then I'm going through like a spiritual awakening at that moment. And I'm thinking, I think what I really want or what the universe wants from me is to bring people to God. So then I had like this come to Jesus moment. But at the same time, I'm like miserable in my job, but I'm doing all these things on the side. So that kind of makes up for it. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> yeah. And then the opportunity comes for layoffs at work. And I'm like, yes, I put up yeah, my hand. Me, like, please. Yeah, like, me <laughs> yeah. please pick me, pick me. Yeah. So I decided I was going to quit my job. I'd been saving and saving, saving. So I'd have like, you know, a nest egg so that I, that would see me through the first couple of years of full-time business. Cause I know I'm going to leave the job and become some form of a coach consultant. Mm, like gotcha. I don't really know where I'm going to end up, but I know I'm going to have my own business and I'm not going to work for the government anymore and probably not work for another business again. Cause I just right. I want to do my own thing. And there's, I know there's more in me. Like I know I'm called to greatness. Yeah. Which I still, I still feel like I haven't, like I felt that when I was like, when I was 25, I was like, I want to, I want to make a difference and an impact in people's lives. And I still feel that way. Right. Like that thing is right. still there pushing me to kind of prove to myself that I can do it. Then I put my hand up for a layoff and I get laid off and then I'm like, okay. And then the real shit hits the fan. Cause then it's like, Oh my God, now I have to make a living <laughs> right? <laughs> again right. on my own without a paycheck and I'm right. too old to strip. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to see this booty. <laughs> oh, funny. You know, I think so many of us, you know, come to these precipice of like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, but what do I want to do next? And then, you know, they stare into the abyss waiting for something to show up. And I think the difference with you is like, and I said this before, is like, you knew what your talents and skills were, and then you found the place to put them. So, or what advice would you give to somebody about doing an assessment of what their talents and skills are? Because I think most people, a lot of people don't have a good view to that. Like we're not a good judge of ourselves. No. Yeah. I would say like, look at what comes naturally to you hmm. and ask your friends, like ask right. your friends, maybe not your family, unless they're like, you know, they're going to be objective, but ask your friends and even your colleagues, what do I do? That seems pretty easy that you don't find easy. Right. Because there's things that they come so naturally to us that we think, oh, everybody knows how to do this. Right. But no, they don't like, you know, you might be able to like, you know, put together a beautiful design of something in like five minutes where other people like it would take them two out like two days. Right. 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 Or you might be able to like, I have a friend who, um, she organizes like, uh, big events for women and she gets all these women together. I'm like, how do you do that? She's like, Oh no, I just, I know people and I invite them. Right. But I can't do that. Mm. Like I have tried, I put events on and like, you know, like it doesn't attract that many people right now because right. I'm not famous yet. <laughs> yet, yet. But, yeah, and then like everybody's got their thing that's really easy to them. 
And then I think the other important part of that too, and you've reflected that back a few times in your story is just like kind of trusting your nudges, like trusting like what interests you and then just trying it. Right. Like, cause I know, you know, when I first started out and I was like, I really want to write, like I had this thing to write and I'm like, I've never really written anything other than like a strategy deck, a corporate strategy deck or whatever. Right. So I'm like, okay. And then I would just write, you know what I mean? I started writing. And then I remember the first time I published a blog, like I closed my eyes and I hit the publish button. And then I had to sit on my hands for three days to not go take it down. Cause I'm like, who's going to read this? I'm an imposter. All of these things. Oh Yeah. Yeah, But I knew if I could just get over that hump, it would be like, okay, and did I like it? Did I enjoy it? And really kind of doing those assessments of like what lit me up about this, right? Yeah, yeah. And recognize that your feelings are not an indication of whether you should be doing this or not. Like your feelings of fear, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, that is not an indication that this isn't right for you. Nobody has, like, I think you said the other day when we were talking, like 100% certainty. Yeah. Like don't expect to have 100% certainty and let that be your guide. You're never going to have that certainty. Yeah. So how do people know when they're on the right track? If they're not listening into their feelings, what, how do you know? Like, how did you navigate that? Well, I never, like for a long time, I didn't, I'd feel like I was on the right track and then I'd feel like I wasn't. Mm. And I don't even know that there's a feeling like you're, I think the feeling that you're on the right track is where you feel absorbed in what you're doing, Mm. where it engages you and you're like, I could do a lot of this. Like this gives me, it it either gives you energy or you could do it for hours or, you know, you're excited to get up in the morning and do it. That's a sign you're on the right track. Yeah. And I know even if you're scared. That's so true because there's been many times like in my own journey where things got really, really tough and I wanted to quit so bad and I would give myself full permission. Okay, quit. You don't have to do this. You really don't have to do this. And then mm-hmm. I wake up the next day going, no, but I have to. So let's get back on the horse and figure this thing out. Right. Because it, yeah. it was pulling me. And I think that's the importance of like kind of trusting that inner guidance or trusting your nudges about like what's lighting you up right now, because it doesn't mean that it's going to be necessarily always easy, but you right. need something that's- that lights you up enough to keep you coming back. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely not going to light you up all the time. And you're going to wonder like the first time it stops lighting you up, you'll be like, oh, it doesn't light me up now. Does that mean it's not for me? Yeah. You know, and the, the other thing is to remember too, people, when they reach a certain skill set in anything, they go through slumps. Mm. Yes. So you might be like, you might be a strong starter, but then when you go through the slump, it's, you have to sometimes get worse at something to get better. And I saw this when I was doing stand-up comedy. So people would start, they would suck. Like almost everybody sucks universally when they start doing comedy, right. except for the odd genius, right? And then they find, they get it together. They get like a solid set. They start making people laugh consistently. They've developed some chops. They know how to deal with hecklers, right? They're like stronger on stage and it's working, it's working, it's working. And then one day it stops working. All their material no longer works. Their jokes aren't funny anymore, right? And it's because they're being called to create, like probably because something in their life is no longer true to their jokes. Mm. right? Because they're talking about themselves, something in their life isn't true. And they, they have to go through this time where people expect them to be funny and they're not funny and they struggle with it and struggle with it and struggle with it. But if they keep with it, new material shows up that is funnier than anything they've ever done. Right. And all stand-up comics go through this. And I think this is something anybody who's creating something in their life is going to go through. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, because it's not like, oh, I found my thing and now it's Nirvana and I float the rest of the way. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, (laughs) oh, if only that were true. (laughs) 
right? Yeah, but how bored would we get? You know, I'd be fun for a while and it'd be like, I need a challenge. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I feel like throughout the story that you've told, there's kind of threads of purpose. Like what's your relationship to purpose or defining purpose? Because I think there's a lot of conversation about what's my purpose, right? Yeah. 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 And I, you know what I have spent, you know, like I spent a lot of time trying to figure out my purpose. Like I spent a lot of time, what am I supposed to be doing? Like my whole twenties were like this whole period of like ennui and like feeling lost, and like so much self-assessment when I wasn't taking the action. So now my relationship with purpose, like I used to try and define it. I used to think it was really important. And now I think like, I don't know. And Mm. that's okay. Like, I know my purpose has to do with communicating. I know that it has to do with connecting. I know that it has to do with inspiring people and helping them live like lighter, lighter lives, like lightening up. But that shows up in many, 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 many different ways. So uh, yeah, Yeah. I know definitely my purpose is inspiring. That's part of like, I know hundred percent. That's why I'm here. And that's why I've been through like some of the stuff I've been through is to inspire other people. But other than that, like what, you know, there's so many ways you can do that. Well, and I think this is the other part. So this is something really interesting. I think you just mentioned is this word purpose gets thrown around so much and it's like, it's got to be this big thing. It's got to be this, you know, I'm starting this company. I'm, you know, this is my cause or whatever it is. And it has to be this big thing. When the reality Mm -hmm. is, I think for a lot of us, the purpose is much purpose. And I, if you can see me, I'm doing air quotes around this purpose is actually small things strung together that may or may not lead to something big. Like it could be, like you said, like your purpose is inspiration, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And my ego looks at that and thinks, oh, that means you need to speak in front of 10,000 people. Right. But for me to realize that I've lived a good life and I know this already, I've already inspired a lot of people. So, you know, like for me, from my higher self or whatever, like I'm already doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. But there's always that fight between ego and like, you know, the reality of like appreciating and accepting what is. So Yeah. And how did you deal with, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this, but how did you deal with like, what will other people think? Like, oh, there's a lot of that that happens is like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy because I was doing this and now I'm doing this totally opposite thing. And now I'm doing this. Like, like yeah, I have, think- did, did that even come up for you? No, I think because myself, I've always been a bit of a loner. Like I've always been very independent. Like I was uh, bullied as a kid. And so when that happened, I kind of stopped trying to fit in with the group. Right. And decided I was going to do my own thing. So that's the gift of being bullied, I guess, is you don't worry so much about what other people think. My family, certainly I didn't want to disappoint them, but I didn't have that. They were also very liberal in a sense of like, you do what makes you happy. I mean, I didn't tell them I was stripping until I'd been doing it for two years. And then, then that was, it was kind of like, I felt kind of, and then I later, when I stopped, I apologized to them because I thought, oh, that was probably really tough for you to tell people when they say, what's June doing? Right. <laughs> so, but I think for me, like that pressure to what will people think is less, it's still Mm. there. Mm. It's still there. Like, I still really want, you know, I don't want my parents to worry about me because I feel like they've worried about me my whole life. But even if I was the most secure person in the world, they might still worry about me. So like, you know, the most steady, stable job and they come from a different generation. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? They come from a generation where you had a job for 35 or 40 years and then you retired and you had one job for your entire life. right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I think it's just kind of like, yeah, I don't worry too, too much about what people will think. Right. So having made kind of all those shifts and course corrections that you've made, like what is like the one or two pieces of advice like you would give people about reinventing yourself? Yes. I think the most important thing to realize, and we touched on this earlier, is that the path reveals itself. Like when you take the steps, the path reveals itself. You do not know. You can plan, you know, you can get every little micro plan down, but it's all going to change. I can't tell you how many plans I have made in my life because I'm a planner. I love the like, let's detail, let's list it out step by step. And then how many of them, you know, some version of it came true later, but it had nothing to do with all the steps. Like how many, even like my to-do list right now, like half the stuff on it, I'm not going to do because I'm realizing that's probably not going to get me to my goals. And I'm pivoting on on the spot, like I'm working on the fly. So action is more important than knowing. The clarity comes from the action. Right. And our egos and our little old reptilian brain wants us Mm -hmm. to know everything to make sure we're staying safe when we're like, okay, we just need to take a step. And I always say to people, you know, just take the tiniest step that you can take. It doesn't need to be this massive giant leap, right? Like you can fool your brain a little bit by just taking, okay, here's a baby step today. Here's a baby step you know, tomorrow kind of thing. And eventually you look back and, you know, all those baby steps turn into something really big, but you can't get there from here by not taking action. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think the other important part of that I kind of took from your message is this whole idea of what got me to one place is not necessarily the thing that's going to get me to the next place and being Mm -hmm. open to kind of exploring like different parts of yourself and different avenues knowing that like, if your goal is to become, you know, uh, a famous public speaker, right. Like that you're going to have to do things along the way that like are going to feel uncomfortable that are maybe out of your current skill set, Right. And you're not afraid to learn. Yeah. And it might not show up in the way that you think it's going to show up, but it's, it's about, it's like, but it will show up if you keep taking steps. Yeah. Right. Like I like, so here's a weird thing. Like, so I was like, yeah, I want to be a famous public speaker. And then like, I did this speech and Jay Shetty, I did this speech that was videotaped and it was made into like a kind of edited videotape of like my experience, how I stopped stripping. And then Jay Shetty, who's a famous motivational speaker, shared it. And then like, it's been viewed by over a million people. So I am a famous public speaker. But that, okay. That is a beautiful example of like, I want to speak to millions of people and okay. Maybe you didn't get on a stage in front of millions of people, but, but I spoke, spoke to, millions to millions of people, of people through the internet. Yeah. Which is like, I've done that. Right. And I don't way, know. Yeah. We are going to put like a link I, to, to this in the show notes because I watched that and it is beyond inspiring. Like oh, it's thank you. so beautiful. It's so, so, so Thanks. beautiful. I understand why Jay Shetty <laughs> definitely shared it. Yeah. And I think for me, like I'm always like facilitating between like writing and then getting on stage. And so like right now, you know, I still want to get on stage in front of live audiences and stuff, but right now I'm working on a new play about all the guys I've dated. So that's like my side thing. Right. So that might come back to the dating coaching, like, because in my head, I'm like, oh, I could sell my book at the back of the room. Right. Like, like it might come back to the dating coaching thing. Like, who knows? Right. We don't know where the future is going to go. You just got to go with like, this interests me. Let's pursue it and see what happens. Yeah. And you will be safe. 
this is the thing. Very few people go hungry in our, in our world. Yeah. Um, like you will be safe. Yeah. And this is where, you know, trust and belief is so critically important because as you're taking that step forward and you don't know like what's on the other side of that step, right? Like you have to believe and you have to trust that it's going to be okay. I might not know what it's going to look like, but I am definitely going to be okay. And I was reminding myself of that this morning. And like, because it doesn't matter how far you go in your journey, there's always going to come the time where when you want the big goal, you're going to have to take a step in that direction without knowing, right? And sometimes you take a step and you're like, ooh, ooh, bad, bad, retreat, retreat. But then you take another step, right? And you learn something in the process of it. So it's never for nothing. And I honestly don't believe in mistakes. Yeah. You know, even if let's say, you know, (laughs) you go down a road and you crash and burn and you lose everything, right? Like there's going to be some good in that. Yes. Yeah. There's always like, I don't regret like the fact that I had that horrible experience in my twenties where I like lost my, my $300 life savings and (laughs) no one showed up for my workshop. And I just felt like such a, a loser bag was like, I mean, that just showed me like, when I quit my job again, the second time, when I like more recently, when I was 49 and I quit my job, that showed me like, okay, what would I do different this time? Right. Like I would have some money to see me through. I would get mentorship. I would, you know, have someone show me how to do this. Right. I'd give myself more time to build an audience. So there's, you learn. Yeah, it's so true. And I remember my mother giving me a piece of advice way back when, when I was going, I was working full time, had a young child. My mother had cancer at the time. And so she was living with us and I was looking after her and I was contemplating going back to school for my second degree. And I was like humming and hawing and going around it and going around it. And she looked at me and I think I was probably like in my early thirties then, maybe like maybe early mid thirties. And she said to me, you're going to be 40 anyway. So you might as well be 40 with that degree rather than 40 without that degree, but 40 is coming. So exactly. Like just do it anyway. And I'm just like, that piece of advice goes through my head all the time because then I got to 40 and I was like, oh yeah, okay, here we are. Here I am. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we overanalyze the process of change to the point that it paralyzes us as opposed to just being curious enough to keep stepping. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that. I love that. That just so like that reflects the work that you're doing, which I also love because yeah, you're going to be 50 anyway. You're going to be 60 anyway. Like, right. You know what I mean? You're like, like time is not stopping for you. Right. So and either you is, work with it or yeah. Yeah. And life is freaking short and <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. True. 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 No, but if you think about it, like, you know, I think about the last 10 years, I'm like the last 10 years feels like, boom. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and now the next 10 years is going to be here before I know it. So like, let me make the most of this time. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. and because the other thing is I'm about to turn the age my mother was when she died. Oh gosh. And yeah. So that's scary. It's not so much scary no. as in, it just makes me hyper aware of how valuable and precious life is because, you know, she didn't know when she turned 56 that she wasn't going to see the end of 56. She didn't know that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's no guarantees of what's going to be given to us. So if there's things that I want to do, I need to do them now because, you know, putting them to next week or next month or the next five years, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't. Mm -hmm. So it's just made me very, very aware of how precious, you know, every year, every day, every month is really. Definitely. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I can't wait to read your book. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't wait to see you'll the know, play. <laughs> yeah. If you read the book, you're going to know more about me than you need to. <laughs> you're going to be like, we need to have another discussion. Now. Oh yeah. Well, when the book comes out, you will be back. <laughs> oh no, the book is out. Oh no. Yeah. Were, I thought you were writing a book about all your boyfriends or something. Oh no, that's a play. Oh, a yeah, play. I okay. A, sorry. I already have a book about that. It's called love lessons from a lap dancer. And that's how to date with confidence, understand men and put yourself first. Amazing. Okay. We're going to make sure that gets in the okay, show notes the as well that. too. Yeah. yeah. And where, yeah. like, where can people buy that? Like, is it on Amazon? Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Any parting words for our listeners who might be on the verge of a midlife reinvention? You know, they're like, I don't want to do what I've been doing anymore. What's yeah. next? What's what Yeah. Would I would say give yourself permission to explore, mm. right? Give yourself ex- a permission to try different things, to, to do what's fun. Fun. And realize you're going to be uncomfortable, but that passes. Yeah, that's actually a really important point about doing things that are fun. Because, you know, I think we live in a culture where it's like, well, you know, fun is not productive, therefore it's not quality. And like fun puts you in a state of mind and in a state of energy where like you open yourself up to all kinds of things, right? And so us just like even just, you know, doing something because simply because it's fun for no other reason is just so important. Yes. You never know where it's going to lead you. So I love yeah. that you ended with that. Yeah. So thank you so much for this conversation. To those of you who are listening, I hope you feel equally as inspired by June's stories as I did. And if you love this episode, we would so appreciate a rating or review. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in. 